Malachi, you know, the, the, last, the last prophet to speak, that, that we know of, that the Lord decided to be written down for, you know, our learning and exhortation and admonition. Right, until, until he speak, until he sent John the Baptist, uh, roughly, roughly four, approximately 430 years, 430 years or more gap between Malachi and then hearing from the Lord again and having having His Word. Uh, we we just uh, kind of as a recap, we discussed that through studying and seeing the and seeing the time that it was. We date this, of course, this is after from the dispersion that he had, they, he had bought back the people, you know, under their own land. And this is approximately, they believe, Malachi was written along with, you know, a contemporary of Zechariah. But we also see that, we just see through it all that it was written approximately 430 AD. Almost every, almost every conservative, I, I should say, true scholar almost all agree with this, you know, like I said, it could have been, you know, a little later, 420, it could have been in, you know, the 430s, mid-430s, but it was somewhere right around that time. And what we looked is that this book is one, from start to finish, one stern rebuke after another. And the biggest reproofs that we're going to see is that they had disregarded they had taken lightly, even though they were going through the motions of doing service to God and worshiping Him and offering the sacrifices and offerings and everything, their heart was not in it. They lightly esteemed Him. They did not show Him any reverence. And that is what He's mostly talking about here. They're not giving any regard for that He's holy, no regard for the things of God. And so we see this to sell. Something that keeps coming to my mind when I read this is I think to turn to 1 Corinthians 10. I just want us to look at something we keep in mind when we're reading when we're reading his word. Remember that there's a reason that we that we always go into his word. One of the reasons he gave it to us is for this. In 1 Corinthians 10, and speaking of the, the Christians in Corinth. Paul says, Moreover, brethren, I would not that you should be ignorant how that all our fathers were under the cloud and all passed through the sea, and all were baptized unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea, and did all eat the same spiritual meat, and did all drink the same spiritual drink, for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. But with many of them God was not well pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. And he goes on, but Verse 6, now these things were our examples. And then he goes on that, right, to the intent we should not lust after evil things, as they also lusted, neither be idolaters, as were some of them, as it's written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Neither let us commit fornication, as some of them committed, and fell in one day, three and twenty thousand. Neither let us tempt Christ, as some of them also tempted and were destroyed at surface. Neither murmur ye, as some of them also murmured, and were destroyed of the destroyer. Verse 11. Now all these things happen unto them for our examples, and they are written for our admonition, upon whom the ends of the world are come. Wherefore
Therefore let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. Now I pay close attention to 11. Now all these things happen unto, happened unto them for examples, and they are written for our admonition. So you've also Malachi. Malachi is, right? I mean, we know from other things that every time the Lord spake to his prophets, right? He, we don't have every word recorded, but we had everything that he deemed we needed, and he wanted us to know. And this is one of those. And when I read this, as we're going through it, my hope and prayer is that he would speak to us and we'd all look into ourselves and say, are we guilty of any of this? Are we guilty of not, not giving God our best? Are we guilty of, of doing the work in service of the Lord frivolously? You know, in a manner not worthy of him. You know, taking his grace for granted. Take, are, are you just... As we talked, as I talked about it at great length, and spent most of the time in the first lesson about it. Remember, he opened up the word in verse two: "I have loved you," saith the Lord, and yet ye say. Now you know this is the thing. Maybe they didn't necessarily say it. They probably spoke to one another, but not open in public, right? But in their hearts, wherein has thou loved us? Went on to show you, we looked at many passages in the Old Testament and the New Testament that write this. We need, we should not take lightly the love of God or our understanding that God loves us. You know, he, he doesn't call us his people. He doesn't ask for worship. He doesn't ask for that. Right? The main reason behind it should be he loves us. And we need to realize these people had forgotten how much his great love was for them. But back to that, to, to look at that, therefore, and that was the root, the root problem. They had grown cold-hearted. They had grown complacent, right? They had lost their love for the Lord. And as we look through here, right, the things that they were doing, even though they were going to service and they, you know, and they were offering sacrifice, they were giving offerings, Right? Maybe outward appearance, you know, of doing it, but their hearts were far from him. And, you know, we know in the New Testament where it tells us in many places, right, if you love me, keep my commandments. Right? You know, there's not just that feeling of love, but this feeling, I believe, wasn't even there. But also, actions. There's an actionable love, too, that he talks about. But, uh, with that, after you know talking to that, and we got into, he said a great, the great example that he used is remember that even though therefore Father Jacob, and even though actually one of their other forefathers, in a sense, right, was Esau. Esau was Jacob's brother. You can say they're great, 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 great uncle, right? But he had laid Esau's heritage waste. He did not choose that. He chose the line of Jacob. He chose these people he were talking to. And he showed that. If you want any greater example, right, look at what I what's become of Edom, which was a Saul's, you know, which was, you know, the descendants of a Saul. And though they had been dispersed, and you know, Israel had been destroyed along with many other nations, 
one thing right we look in verse 4 though Edom would say right they'll return and they'll build back up he had allowed the Israelites right to come back to their land and build back up and to start prospering again but not a south even though by blood there was relatives he's like no no I love you look at this and so with that you know we see where you know I talked we talked about it at, again at great length but they're they're not understanding and they're becoming cold-hearted and not understanding or believing that the Lord greatly loves them above all others. And we talked and we talked about when he said he hated us all. That word literally said he hated him. At the very least, he found him repulsive. And he laid his heritage waste. And even though right, Israel had sinned, just like they had, but he had chosen his people. Even though he would chasten his people, he still later blessed them, and he always brought them back. It's something he doesn't do with other people in that. He'll, he'll, right, he'll destroy, in the end, the wicked, but he'll always deliver his people. And, and we need to always understand that and keep that, keep that in mind. And then when talking about, and we can see that where we went in, where it touches on the doctrine of election, because where it touches on the doctrine of election is, and we looked at that in Romans 9, Paul brings this in, talking about, you know, you see now that, you know, even though Jacob and Esau, before they were born, before they had done ever good or evil, right, God had chosen Jacob over Esau. For so his doctrine according, so his purpose according to election would stand. You know, and you read a lot of the re reformers, that's how they interpreted this, too. They saw it. It does touch on the doctrine of election. Even for us today, you know, God will chasten his people, but he still, right, loves us and reminding us all the time we get that in mind that he has chosen us and not through anything we've done on ourselves, but he will chasten his people. Uh, after what we talked about last week and just about now, does anyone have any observations, comments, anything? I guess all these prophets were they rebuke Israel for apostasy it always just um, how do you say it that you can identify so much with it in our present day mm -hmm. we can just see the changes in our own country and uh, although we're not a covenant people like Israel was as a country but I'm saying you can just see the changes and um, through the generations and then but when you focus on the church itself the professing church you just see so much so much of this and i think in the midst of all this god has his people god has his churches but i think as time goes on if it continues to go this way it's just going to get more and more challenging for god's people yeah you know, not just talking about persecution there but more and more our surroundings will be more and more anti-god anti-biblical anti-christian and so we have to take heed to the word ourselves more and more, discipline ourselves more and more to do that, because I think the temptations will be greater to uh, compromise. Yeah. And, you know, something to keep in mind, too, that God's word, and we talk about this all the time, but it'll do one of two things. 
even when it chastens us, right? It'll speak to his people. We'll take it in, and it'll bring about, you know, repentance unto us. And it could even bring chastening unto us and that. But it'll bring a renewal and a healing unto us. It'll offend the people who are not truly God's. It'll end up driving them away. You know, like we've ever met people, you know, they might be in the church, they might be professing on that, but all of a sudden they're, they got a certain attitude and there's a certain sinfulness in that and you try to, you try to bring them to account of that and bring them to repentance. What happens? They leave. They get all upset. They, they, they leave and, and they go ahead and then they start talking about how, oh, they're so hateful, they're so this, they're so that. You hear it all the time. You know, like, because you, you try to hold them to account to God's standard. And they don't like it. But those that are gods, eventually, even though that may happen at times, it does, well, eventually, they'll, they'll get off on themselves and it'll, it'll, it'll bring sorrow, godly sorrow, and it'll draw them back to repentance. The people, the difference is the people of God will always return unto him. Those that aren't will not return unto him. And we just see that because, another thing, just go to Romans 11, because it does touch on that in what you just said, Dean, in a sense. You know, he was speaking to all of Israel. But we need to remember, not all Israel. Remember, because in effect, right, uh, Esau, right, Abraham was Esau's grandfather. Isaac was Esau's father. But Esau had been abandoned, cut off, and he was not part of the chosen. He was not part of the chosen, right? But he could claim blood relation, could he not? I mean, he was a blood relative, right? But uh, Romans chapter 11, well, up in 10, 21, right? Because there wasn't a division in that. It's keeping the same train of thought. Verse 21, but to Israel he saith, all day long I have stretched forth my hands unto a disobedient and gainsaying people. Which we see right here, he's doing it in Malachi. I say then, hath God cast away his people? God forbid. For I also am in Israel, like of the seed of Abraham, of the tribe of Benjamin, God hath not cast away his people which he foreknew. And we talked about that, if you remember, when I just talked about it, you know, you read Romans 8. You just get in on that same thought, right? He foreknew him, right? Before the foundation of the world, he knew us. He set his love upon us. He chose to redeem us. And he's, that's what he's talking about here also. What ye not but the scripture saith of Elijah, Elias, right? How he maketh intercession of God against Israel, saying, Lord, they have killed thy prophets, dug down thy altars. I am left alone, and they seek my life. But what saith the answer of God unto him? I have reserved to myself 7,000 men, who have not bowed the knee to the image of Baal. Even so, then, at this present time also, there is a remnant according to the election of grace. And if by grace, then it is no more of works. Otherwise, grace is no more grace. But if it be of works, then it is no more grace. Otherwise, work is no more work. In other words, all that to say, right, we're always his people according to his grace, not by his work. We do works and good works because of the grace he has showered upon us. All right? Not, we don't earn his grace. 
Verse 7. What then? Israel hath not attained that which he seeketh, but the election hath attained it, and rest were blinded. The according to his written, God had given them a spirit of slumber. And it goes on there, but what is he what is he really saying there that What's he, what's he really seeing there? Right? They are not all Israelites that are of Israel. Right? He had his remnant. Even then, there were many in the nation of Israel. But at that time, there were only 7,000 who had deserted God and forsaken God and gone on to Baal. Worship. 7,000. Right? Just like in this day when he's speaking to Malachi here, and just like in the church today, there are many that may be sitting, maybe, maybe some people even know, right? that call themselves children of God. They may even think that they're children of God. Maybe because their parents do, maybe because they go to church, maybe because somewhere along the line they believed on the Lord Jesus Christ in a sense that, yeah, God exists, and yeah, Jesus came, or whatever there is, whatever it is, because these people are always to deceive where they're even at. If we see that, right? It, what, wherein us all loved us? And he goes on in verse 6, we'll just see that constantly God's laying down where their heart was, what they really thought. And at the same time, they didn't even see it. But, right, but this word will get through to his people, to his people, and bring our repentance and that. And he wants us to always examine ourselves. And that's what the, that's what the word's for, right? And it's just like in this present day. Right? When it speaks to us in that, as of tonight, let's realize that even though he forgives us and he chastens us, right? Behavior, right? Sin is sin for everybody, right? We can't take that lightly, right? And he he doesn't it. A lot of times he won't hold, he won't condemn us under hellfire, right? In a lake of fire for our sin in the end. But it does affect our walk with him. It doesn't. It, it it does affect, you know, our, our daily blessings. It will affect how a lot of times if we don't listen to him and we don't take his reproof like his exhortation or his reproof or his rebuke. Eventually, I always put it, and I've experienced that God let God eventually will put down his hammer on his people. Mainly, he wants to work through his word. Let us take that word. And then a lot of times, if the hammer or else has some suffering or something like that, then we go back. And then after after he's dealt with us, then our heart's more appropriate and open to receive correction from his word. But uh, with that, let's just go on to verse 6, because that's where we stopped last time. In verse 6, a son honors his father and a servant his master. If then I be a father, where is my honor? And if I be a master, where is my fear? Saith the Lord of hosts unto you, O priest, that despise my name. And you say, where did we despise thy name? Again, they just didn't see it. <coughs> the word, that word despise, it can mean, it, it, it has a few different meanings. To disesteem, is what I say it means here, right? To disesteem, to hold in low regard, a lack of respect for. Okay? Because we'll see that, we'll just go on and then talk about it. We'll go on to verse 7. 
Where have we despised the name? Okay, so the Lord lays it out plainly for him. He starts to. Verse 7. You offer polluted bread upon my altar. And you say, where have we polluted thee? In that ye say, the table of the Lord is contemptible. The same Hebrew word where they translated in verse 6 as despised and despised. They translate as contemptible in verse 7. And that's more with a way, because of what they had done, right? Now they were showing that, right, the table of the Lord's contemptible. They had made it contemptible because now they had bought into a mockery and a scorning. You know, just a, a, a deeper lack of, right, because of their lack of esteem, right, their lack of reverence for the things of God and for the holiness of God, it had led to them scorning and mocking God in that they offered, right, polluted sacrifices upon his altar. And if you go to, and what does he mean by polluted, polluted bread? He means the food, right, when they bought sacrifices. Go to verse 8. And if you offer the blind for sacrifice, is it not evil? And that's rhetorical. Of course it is. And if you offer the lame and sick, is it not evil? Of course it is. Offer it now unto thy governor. Will he be pleased with thee or accept thy person, saith the Lord of hosts? In other words, what he was saying, I know you wouldn't dare offer these sacrifices until your until your governor. You wouldn't dare. You know he would reject them. Because they had to bring them. That's one of the ways they did. They'd bring an animal or something and that, you know, bring something. If they were to bring it to the governor to pay for their pay taxes and everything and that, it, that would be that would be rejected. But they feel that. Well, God, right? Lord of lords, king of kings, right? The God of Israel, the one who created the whole earth, he's going to accept it? It's good enough for him? So, so they're just showing blatant contempt. Blatant contempt. You know, not only, a, a, it, just all the things going there, you know, it begins with showing a lack of reverence for the Lord, right? Just a lack of reverence and holding it in low esteem, low regard, right? Following his ways and offering his sacrifices according to the way he put him down. So in offering the lame and the sick and that, you know, and also, you know, he's just talking <clears throat> to the priest, but through that, right, he's talking to all the people, but he's talking to the leaders of Israel first because they were accepting these. It was their position. They should have been calling out and rebuking, right, and disciplining these people who bring in forth, right, these blemished sacrifices, right, that were, that were, that was evil, but they were not. And therefore now the, the whole nation was, you know, was just under, you could say condemnation, right, if you're proving everyone, he starts out, right, the burden of the, of the word of the Lord to Israel. You know, it wasn't just the priest, but the priests were the first and foremost front line of defense, right, they saw this, they received it, they received it, basically given their okay, that, that's okay, and they offered it up to the Lord, just furthering the offense, furthering the guilt. But uh, go to that when he says, is it not evil? I mean, go to Leviticus chapter 22. If we all remember this, uh, being good Bible students and that, we remember that the, when the Lord laid down specific laws 
for how he was to be worshipped, you know, in the offerings. It includes every part of his worship, right? Because he changeth not, amen. But Leviticus chapter 22, in, uh, oh, starting, starting, well, starting, uh, Verse 19, he's given down, you know, the he's given down the law and he's given down ordinances, you know, for the sacrifices to the priest. You shall, verse 19 verse, of chapter 22, you shall offer at your own will a male without blemish of the bees, of the sheep, or of the goats, but whatsoever hath a blemish, that shall ye not offer, for it shall not be acceptable for you. And whosoever offers the sacrifice of peace offerings unto the Lord to accomplish his vow, or free will offering of bees or sheep, it shall be perfect till shall be to be accepted. There shall be no blemish therein. Blind or broken or maimed or having a wen or scurvy or scab. You know, in other words, it should be perfect. <clears throat> you shall not offer these unto the Lord, nor make an offering by fire of them upon the altar unto the Lord. Either a bullock or a lamb that have anything superfluous or lacking in parts, that mayest thou offer for a free will offering, but for a vow it shall not be accepted. And a free will offering, yes, but not the sacrifice has to be the food under the Lord. There's a difference under that, right? You shall not offer, verse 24, you shall not offer it unto the Lord that which is bruised or crushed or broken or cut. Now they shall make any offering thereof in your land. Go on to Deuteronomy chapter 15. This is a big thing, you know, when the Lord has to repeat, you know, repeats this again. Deuteronomy, you know, he reminds us again. I, I, always, I always remember years ago I ran into a, a man who had been, you know, teaching the Word of God for 50 years. And his deep impression, Deuteronomy, called it, you know, the book of teaching. He just puts it up in the book of forget me, you know, forget nots. Just a reminder of the things that he had laid down in his law to us. But in Deuteronomy chapter 15, and verse 21. And if there be any blemish therein, speaking of the offerings again, as if it be lame or blind or have any ill blemish, thou shalt not sacrifice to the Lord thy God. And these priests knew that. These priests knew that. Even if you could see, maybe some of the people, they had become, you know, maybe it's a few generations, and we know one thing that happens when people start going away from the Lord, they stop paying attention to his word. When these priests were first ordained, one thing they had to do is they read the word, right? So he, he's pointing it out to them. Just common sense tells you it was evil, right? Because they are trying to, they're, they're offering to the Lord these imperfect animals, these bruised, these lame, these sick animals, and he told them it was evil, but he also said, oh, offer it in the government. Right? You, you weren't there. You know he wouldn't accept it. But I'm supposed to accept it? I'm God. Right? Just no, just a complete lack of reverence, reverence, and eventually turn it into a mockery. A mockery of the holiness of God. You know, I read that, and I just think, and before you came in like that, you know, this speaks to us that, in a way, I'll just say it again. We, we, you know, of course, it is finished. Jesus Christ was the perfect sacrifice, right? That was all the sacrifices in the boat. But with these sacrifices, it wasn't just 
for sin it was as offering unto as being pleasing unto God, thanking him for all his blessings. Right? It was also we bought a memorial before God, always remembering him. You know, he tells us before, right? The beast and a thousand hills are mine, right? I don't require anything. I don't need anything. But when we do, it shows us one our, you know, our regard for God and our dependence upon him and our thankfulness to him for providing for us. You know, and that he loves us, but of course, they didn't think that. But I keep putting it back. I... I saw a good thing is, how can we apply that to today? Do we give our best to God? Yeah. Are, are we satisfied? Do we somehow deceive ourselves into thinking, for instance, like we come to church, and throughout the whole thing, right, if it speaks to anyone that, we just got our minds set on, man, I can't wait to watch a football game when I get home. That's, just, that's, that's an example of it, right? Where, where, where does it really show where our heart is? You know, or, or maybe we go through the whole week without giving God a second thought. Do we, do we acknowledge him in all our ways? You know, our, I, I like the way uh, one, one commentator put a note on there. So you're exactly saying, how often should this speak to people who maybe spend all kinds of money on pleasures for themselves and their household? And then throw a few dollars in the offering plate. And not speaking against that, you know, you have to judge yourselves and give untold amounts of money. But he does tell us we are to be generous. And it does show when we, and we're to do it, right? Not out of the feeling we're compelled to do it because of what we want to do it, right? The Lord blesses, blesses us so much in that. Let us give unto the Lord. And we do that by offering. He's talking to about his money, but it's a good it's, it, it's a good example of it because it's one of the material sacrifices we can give to him. Again, it's not towards our salvation, but it does show us when we examine ourselves, where's our heart at toward him? It's really important. You know, he goes on <laughs> after verse 8, when he just lays it down to him, you know, saying, you know, offering it, telling that it's evil, Letting him know, I mean, if you think not, right, you know, right, ignorance of the law is no excuse. So maybe he wrote it here, maybe there was some people on that that weren't aware that, that this was a totally against the law he had set down. He makes it so plain. Really? You want to offer that to your governor? But you offered it to me, thy God. So, you know, he's showing him, and, and nothing else I'm reading this, what we should realize is, Right? Every one of the charges he gets, they always come back saying, in what way? Like, they didn't even see it. And I honestly believe that. They didn't see it. The Lord was also letting them know, and if you remember, I repeated that 27 times in 55 verses. Saith the Lord. Thus saith the Lord of hosts. Over and over and over again. Almost every other verse, he says that. A couple times, it is twice in the same verse. But the point being, he was letting him know, this is me. I am the one who searches the hearts and minds. I know everything you do. Don't think you can hide it from me. Maybe you're fooling one another. Maybe you fool yourselves. But I know you. I see you. And I will deal with you. Pretty. <laughs> we all need to keep in mind, we ain't fooling anybody. 
And we shouldn't be, we shouldn't be so concerned with what other people are thinking about us. We should be most and first foremost concerned with what he thinks of us and what we are doing, the way he looks upon what we're doing. Hey, Howard, don't you think too, if I could just say, it's, it's just like today, when you think of how the, the honor and the high view that people used to have of God, even during the worship service, right? People would come, there's many of us that can remember this, just having an awe of God, a high view of God, that kind of thing. And then you look and see what it's become in such a short period of time. Mm -hmm. Just a very short period of time. Yep. He has been basically down. I mean, when you watch some of this stuff, it is. Can you imagine what God thinks? You know, when you look at this text, this verse, you're, you're doing this? Yeah. I mean, and, and yet, like you said, they didn't realize it. And yet, I think there's a lot of people today who do know what they're doing is wrong. But I think there's a lot of people sitting in the congregation that have no clue. I think they are just completely asleep. Yeah. I can just say something, too, that, you know, one of the things I noticed from being over in a different country is that when a lot of times when the worship service is there, the people are engaged, if I could say, in the worship service. What I mean by that is, like, um, during the songs, during the sermon, the whole time they're engaged and they're focused. Yep. Whereas here, even I would say in a lot of good churches, the church service has kind of turned more into like something you watch. Yep. So, you know, the people come in, they're relaxed. It's kind of like watching a television program. Mm -hmm. You know, and that's a big difference that I've noticed. It's convicting for me even to see that. You know, but no matter in different styles of worship there, as far as it's in different ways, mm -hmm. but still the people are engaged. Whereas here, it's more like watch, watching a program. And, and it, it seems like there is more of an irreverence here, I've noticed, and more of a fear there to recognize you're coming into the presence of God as a gathered people. And um, you see that. I'm not saying it's perfect, but I'm just saying I, I've noticed that. Brings to mind another good quote I read while I was studying this. I can't remember which calendar it was from, but whatever one good scholar said, familiarity. Familiarity with the things of God can breed complacency with the things of God. And that's one of the things that I think what started with them, right? A complacency. But then eventually it led to this lack of love for God. Not only they didn't even feel it in their hearts. And I wonder now so often, and I think this can this can happen, but we could get into this idea sometimes where maybe if things ain't going great. Because I was it wasn't right. They bought back. It was about a hundred years afterwards. But right, maybe some of these people, you know, right? I was. They had just kind of you know, given up. Right? They they weren't feeling that love. Right? So therefore they questioned it. Right? They weren't feeling it. Of course, are we ever guilty of that? Maybe we don't. We're not content with whatever He's given us. You know, we want more. We think we should have more. We even, in a sense, maybe prayer, we become kind of selfish, right? Because doesn't the word say to put others before ourselves? There's some there's other things to think about there. Maybe, uh, Howard, because, I just, yeah. Can I just, oh, sorry, I didn't know I was cutting you off there. I, I just want to say, verse 9, before we go on. And now, you know, after rebuking them, for being evil in their, to the priest 
right, for allowing it, but now right, all the people, right? And now I pray you beseech God that you be gracious unto us, right? God, God's kind of mocking, right? They're doing all this and still saying, Lord, be gracious unto us, right? Bless us. This hath been by your means, right? This evil that they had done, this lack of reverence toward the Lord, right? This this lack of reverence toward his offerings and treating his table with contempt and, and just a mockery. Will he regard your persons? Say it, Lord of hosts. We're going to go to Isaiah chapter 1. And this is basically, you know, saying this. <laughs> well, here, well, let's let the word of God speak for itself. Go to Isaiah chapter 1. <clears throat> Starting in verse 10. Now, this is the same exact circumstance, but the same thing. Here, now these people apparently had, they weren't involved in gross idolatry. They didn't go back to that. But obviously, they were committing, committing grave evils by disregarding the sanctity of right, the, the Lord. They were coming before the Lord. And their hearts weren't in it. They were just treating them with contempt. And they were being evil in their worship. Well, verse number 10 of Isaiah 1. Hear the word of the Lord, ye rulers of Sodom. You know, speaking to his people Israel. But just like you have become like Sodom, right? Give ear to the law of our God, ye people of Gomorrah. Now, we know what kind of people they were. But he's saying, now you're, you're, you're doing the same. Verse 11. To what purpose is the multitude of your sacrifices unto me, saith the Lord? I am full of the burnt offerings. We kind of make things like that. You ever get that? <laughs> I've had it. I don't want to hear it anymore. I'm full of it. I am full of burnt offerings of rams and the fat of fed beasts. And I delight not in the blood of bullocks or of lambs or of he goats. When ye come to appear before me, who hath required this at your hand to tread my course? In other words, you're treading down my courts and that, right? You're not with me. Bring no more vain oblations. Incense is an abomination unto me. The new moons and Sabbaths, the calling of assemblies, I cannot away with. It is iniquity, even the solemn meeting. Your new moons and your appointed feast, my soul hateth. By the word. That again, right? He says, I don't love it as much. That's not what he's saying. Right? He hates it. But they are a trouble unto me. I am wary to bear them. And when ye spread forth your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Yea, when you make many prayers, I will not hear. Your hands are full of blood. He wasn't saying they weren't all murderers, right? Get better. Right? Evil is evil. And the worst thing, right? They were, they were being sinful, they were holy in disregard, it didn't matter to them, and they still thought they'd come into, come into the Lord's house, they'd do these sacrifices, go through this ritual, and, and somebody expect the blessings of God. And of course, he's telling them, will he regard your person, saith the Lord of hosts? In verse 10, read this one, and then we'll finish with Nippon. You know, any comments or questions? Verse 10. Who is there even among you that would shut the doors for not? Would one of you even get up and just shut the doors into the 
into the sanctuary. Stop this. Stop even going in. Neither do you kindle fire on mine altar for naught. I have no pleasure in you, saith the Lord of hosts. Neither will I accept an offering at your hand. In other words, right? I'm not going to bless you. I'm not going to. Away with it. Away with it. I will not have it. You get your hearts right. You get right before me. You worship me and according to what I laid down. You get your hearts with me. You repent. I'm not going to accept it. I'm not going to accept this vain, this vain worship of me. You know, you will not scorn me. You will not bring me to scorn. You know, it, verse 11. For from the rising of the sun, even unto the going down of the same, my name shall be great among the Gentiles, and in every place incense shall be offered unto my name, and a pure offering. For my name shall be great among the heathen, saith the Lord of hosts. It, there he gets a little bit into the future. Amen? Yep. That day is coming. It still hasn't happened yet. But trust me, that day is coming. Right? That even though all those that are left, even people that are saved, they're going to be walking in the millennial reign, right? And everyone, the knowledge of the Lord is going to cover the earth. Right? And people will be offering incense unto him, and they'll have to, or else will be cursed. But he's getting in a little bit of the future there. And he goes on, we won't talk about that, but I, I, I suggest, you know, during the week, read through Malachi and get this, you know, what he says, because he's saying, though that will happen, and though the heathen are going to see this, right now you are profaning my holy name. You are profaning my holy name and putting scorn and mockery, mockery you know, upon my holy name. And it's just awful. Does anyone have any last comments or I questions? Just, I'm just going to say I can help you notice how offensive verse 6 is in our modern time because I couldn't help but think about it. It says, a son honoreth his father servant his master, and then he, he says, if then I be a servant, where is my honor? Oh, excuse me. If then I be a father, where is my honor, and if I be a master, where is my fear? You know, it, it's it's important, I think, when we think about in our modern day how this goes against the grain so much. I can't remember what it was. It's something Keith was doing or something. I think there were some uh, messages going back and forth on the computer, but a Christian called, said the word Lord, you know, and then someone said on there, he said Lord. whole idea of having a master that's seen as just a bad thing in the Bible, you know, and the Bible was bad, you know, in its teaching concerning slavery. And then in the same verse, master, and then you have father, you know, honoring parents. So, I mean, I think as more time goes on, the more honoring a father or any parent is going to be seen as just a horrible thing. And so, it's a, and, and this kind of stuff seeps into churches too, this kind of way of thinking. And so it's important that we just stay rock solid on the word and understand the Bible's teaching on slavery, the Bible's teaching on honoring parents and our submission, of course, to the word. And, and there's a big thing. There's a big thing, right? And then, too, right? These people, the priests on downward, they, they were not submitting to God. They were not submitting to one another. And today that submitting is a dirty word, even in Christianity. That's why you see so many people I know that are so solid, for the most part, in the Word of God, yet they'll have nothing to do with church. Because they ain't going to have any elder rule over them or 
tell them what's right or wrong, or they ain't going to submit to any type of discipline or anything, or anyone telling them how to run their house. I'm talking in respect to when it comes to, you know, honoring and, and living a holy life and living that discipline when it comes to that, right? Why? Because, that's the thing, at the heart, right, we can easily, the thing we fight against the most, right, is becoming proud, selfish, right, self-absorbed, this is rebel attitude, right? That's what it's all about, a rebel attitude. We go to our default position, and then we never want to admit it. Somehow, somehow, they, you know, they may trick themselves into whatever is saying, they'll take that one verse. Well, you have the Holy Spirit, and you ain't got anyone teaching. Well, yeah, but then he goes on to say he's given the church teachers. They just use that just saying you have the Holy Spirit and then, in other words, in that you, you know, you, 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 could, you could sit under it and that, and you know, you don't you know, you don't listen. There's a long story about that. But the fact of the matter, you tell us, gives teachers, and we're told in the word, right, for the men to submit to the elders. Right? And it's the elders submit to the Lord, right? All things in the Lord and all things proper. But there's the thing about it, right? To always check our heart attitude. Right? Because that's where this all started. With. There was our attitude, right? Do we love the Lord now? So these people, I believe, right, they, they didn't feel any joy. They didn't even, they even questioned right? Greatly questioned, right? How have you loved us, right? You, you don't love us. You need to be careful about that, right? It's one thing we can spout off and everything, but to examine ourselves, just why, that's why I read 1 Corinthians 10, right? All of the scripture is there for admonition. In every place it talks for admonition, right? Because it, you know, also there for our learning and learning about God, but all the places where he lets us know about his judgments and, and how he dealt with his people, Throughout all time, all of that admonition and teaching and exhortation and instruction is for us today to learn from it, right? To be refined by it, right? And built up by it, right? To help draw us to repentance, to help grant us repentance. Right? But we need to be careful because don't think that we can never fall into the same things, you know? And maybe it's just me. But I don't have great thoughts every single moment of the day. But we need to be very careful about, in our hearts, starting to wander from the Lord. Because it's our hearts that always go first. Right? And we sing that song all the time, right? You know, you know, Lord, you know, that he keep us, Lord, you know. Prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. You know, you know, take my heart, Lord, and seal it. Seal up in the courts of law. That's a prayer I think we should always have. Go ahead. And really, Howard, you're, you're simply speaking what God spoke in the Old Testament on several occasions, right? He's in Leviticus and Deuteronomy, he talks about Deuteronomy, right? He, he puts out these the, the word of God and he says, do these for it'll keep you what's safe. Mm -hmm. Paul writes about, it is no problem for me to write on to you, brethren, again. Yep. In fact, it is safe for you. Yep. And again, as you as you consider, even like this morning now, we're ga you brought up people who think, well, I don't need to be with the church. Yeah, you do. Yeah. Because it keeps us safe. It keeps us together. Yep. It helps us participate, like I'm going to talk about this morning a little bit, in yep. the four graces that we see there in the book of Acts. All this stuff Amen. is all designed to keep us safe. Yep. To keep us uh, in the proper place concerning God, who he is, and who we are, and all of those things.
you don't do that, you will, you will drift. You will drift away, and it will no longer be God who is high and honored up. It will be you. Yep. Yep. And he said, just, we, need to be, we need to be so careful with that. Good point. With that, let us close in a word of prayer. Oh, gracious, loving Heavenly Father, as we see this book that, even though, yeah, you, you greatly reprove your people in this book, Lord. We will see, you, you all reprove your people. Always help us look in ourselves and grant us repentance for in any place where our heart may be drifting from you. Wherever we become hard or starting to become callous in the things of God, as you see throughout this book, it's the service of God to become such a weariness to him. And the main point is, in the very beginning, the root of it all, right? And I believe that's to be true. They question the love of God. Lord, always ever remind us that you greatly love us. You love us so much that you crushed your son on our behalf. You loved us so much, you chose before you created, you created creation. You chose us, and you set your love upon us, and you redeemed us. Amen. Lord, help revive us. You send a revival to our hearts, Lord. We pray for revival in the nation, Lord. But we know, even from time past, revival begins in your people's hearts, Lord. Lord, grant us revival. Grant us repentance in anything where even Hebrews tells us about, you know, not only the sin which so easily besets us, but also the weights. The weights. Not all weights are sin. But they become obstacles. Obstacles to our walk with you, Lord. So if you're meaning weights, whatever they may be, Lord, expose them to us, Lord, and help, help us uh, free ourselves from them, Lord, that we may more and more be transformed into Christ and be more and more and greater and greater faithful service, that you may be glorified in all things. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.